Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ podcast. To stay up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved, visit southplains.info. I pray that this message reveals God's truth and love to you today. Let's dive in. Whatever doesn't kill you will make you stronger. No, Kelly Clarkson didn't come up with that. Some quote it uh, from uh, Nietzsche back in 1888. Others quote it from Conan the Barbarian in 1984. Uh, I quote it from a different place. I was at a celebration this last weekend, and it was kind of a party place. And they had different plaques and posters and things on the wall. And one I kind of zeroed in on. It said, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, except for bears. Bears will kill you. We want to be strong. We, we want to be able to overcome. And yet, we have to admit, there are times when temptation seems stronger than us. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to be lovers of God, then we really need to learn how to resist, how to overcome temptation. And all of us need to consider this seriously because maybe, maybe it'll prevent some spiritual wandering, some, some damaging behavior developing in our lives. Or maybe because it will keep a family together. Or maybe because it'll keep a young person out of prison. Or maybe because it will lead somebody into a relationship with Jesus, bringing hope, healing, and redemption both now and forever. And it's James, in his little book, that little letter at, at, towards the end of our New Testament, right after the book of Hebrews, that he, where he gives us insight into how sin works in our life and, and why it is so potentially dangerous in our life, and also how to, how to say no and feel good about it. The first thing he addresses in verse 13, chapter 1, is the time of temptation. He says, remember... When you are tempted, don't say, God is tempting me. Did you notice? When tempted. Not if you're tempted, but when you're tempted. It's just like he said in verse 1, or verse 2, uh, when, when troubles come, because it's inevitable. Now, troubles are difficult events that occur in our life because, as Bob described, we live in a broken and sinful world. There are viruses in the air. COVID. <laughs> And, and bumps in the road, and tornadoes in the weather, and, and we're going to experience them simply because we live in this world. It's inevitable. Temptations? Well, temptations are sent by the enemy to bring out the worst in us. It's a deliberate enticement to do wrong to sin. Our enemy's desire is that we don't follow Jesus, that we don't love God, but rather that we disobey God and stray off the path he has given us, becoming weak and ultimately entrapped in sin so that we suffer defeat and ultimately death. James tells us that just as we're all going to have trouble, we're going to have temptations. Now, some people mistakenly assume that if I just get really spiritual, if I really get into prayer and come into church 
and, and reading my Bible, then I won't, I won't be tempted. I'm exempt from temptation. Sorry, devil, I got my Bible. That if you really put Jesus first in your life, that you're not inclined towards evil. And yet, if that were the case, why are we here? Why, why are we struggling with this? Why are we even talking about this? Because that's not reality. Luke is the one who tells us in his gospel the story of Jesus, that right after Jesus was baptized, he says the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness for 40 days, and he is tempted by the devil. Now, if you read that whole story, it will tell you at the end he doesn't stop. He stops for a little while, it says, until an opportune moment. And Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews 2 that Jesus was made like his brothers, that is, human, because he suffered and was tempted. Now, if Jesus was tempted from the beginning to the end, we will be too. We never reach that level of maturity where we can say, you know what, I'm beyond the reach of temptation. Nothing really tempts me now. Doesn't attract me anymore. That's not true. Stories of a young man who asked a priest, when will I reach the point where sins of the flesh no longer appeal to me? And the priest answered, son, I wouldn't trust myself until I'd been dead for at least three days. Those temptations will come. They'll come in various ways. They'll come in different seasons and various stages of your life. Some suggest that in youth it's sensuality, in middle age it's materialism, and in old age it's pride. Maybe. Maybe it's all of those. The temptations you struggle with, however, might not be attractive to some other Christian that you know. And theirs may not be attractive to you. One person is not much tempted to gossip, but is tempted to lose their temper very easily. Another one is not much tempted by greed. I mean, they can hop into your Tesla and ride around with you and be happy for you and get back in their old pickup and be just content as they ever were. That's not spirituality, by the way. That's just the way he's wired. He's tempted to lust. And somebody who is not tempted to get drunk, is tempted to gamble away their paycheck every week. The fact that you're tempted in some ways doesn't make you less spiritual. It's just recognizing the reality of temptation in your life. It's, the ident- it's identifying the areas of anticipated attack by the enemy. Here's how Paul talked about it when he wrote in his second letter to uh, Corinthians. He said, don't let Satan outwit us. We're not unaware of his schemes, being aware of the schemes of the enemy against us. Righteousness. Righteousness is not being exempt from temptation, but it's facing temptation as a daily reality and overcoming it. And then next, James turns to identifying the source of this temptation. When you are tempted, he said, don't say, God is tempting me. God is not the author of evil Satan is God may allow troubles into your life but when you find sin appealing James says don't blame it on God he does not traffic in the realm of the immoral preacher announced to the congregation one Sunday that he was going on a diet 
So you might imagine the surprise that he showed up the next Sunday morning with a box of donuts. Two already eaten. And a member said, I thought you said you were going on a diet, preacher. And he said, I was, but it wasn't God's will. And she asked, well, how do you know? And he said, because I always drive by this same donut bakery every Sunday morning on the way to church. And this morning I was so hungry, I just prayed, God, it is your will that I not eat donuts. Don't let there be a parking place in front of that bakery. He said, sure enough, eighth time around, there was a parking place. (laughs) Now, the truth is, right, and we laugh at that because we always try to blame somebody else for our sins, Uh, even God. God, Remember, God asked Adam, why have you eaten from that tree in the garden that I told you not to eat from? And he said, it was the woman you gave me. It's your fault. It's your fault, God, that I'm having this affair. I mean, I met this woman, and the chemistry was just right. I mean, it's the way God made us. It's your fault, God, that I'm lazy after all. I am a, a phlegmatic, have a phlegmatic temperament, and, and it's just the way I'm inclined. God, you made me this way. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. He's not directly or indirectly or remotely associated with our sin. The real problem is found, he says in verse 14, our own desire. That's where the problem is. And our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful action. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. We choose which desire to follow and which to resist. One leads to life, And the other leads to death. That's not a new message. That was a message way back in the law of Moses. Which do you choose? We are created in the image of God. And we are given his spirit to indwell us. And and the spirit within us leans toward the good, towards the light. But we're also human. We're fleshly which seems to be inclined towards the evil, towards the darkness. Jeremiah the prophet, in his, in his book, the 17th chapter, said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and despicably wicked, or desperately wicked. Now, Satan knows this, and he knows how to arouse desire in us. The word entice that James used is the word for baiting a hook, and Satan has been doing this for millennia. But... It was Paul who wrote and told the Romans in the 12th and 13th chapter, since God loves us and since he has had mercy on us, we offer ourselves to him as living sacrifices, clothing ourselves with the presence. We sang about that this morning. Clothing ourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about ways to indulge evil desires, how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And then James gives a little bit of a sequence of how temptation happens. James, James reveals this process of allure. It's, it's, it's pretty consistent. Temptation, he says, verse 14, when it comes when our own desires entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. The first thing is we're dragged away. The spiritual is kind of set aside. God set aside. 
we're dragged away by that which is evil from, from that which is good. We're removed from the spiritual in our life. Now, Satan knows that to succeed in our lives, he has to remove us from the spirit, from the positive influence. He drags us away. It may be by setting aside talking to God, prayer. Maybe it's set aside listening to God and scripture. It may be setting aside church family uh, and being together even when we had to. It may be uh, being, it depends on your family. It may be being away from your family. Those things that are positive in your life. Simon Peter, if you'll remember, was very courageous. He was the first one to draw the sword, the first one to stand up and say, let's stand with Jesus, as long as he was with Jesus in the garden. But later he's dragged away to the enemy's fire, and he just wilts and denies. Second, we're enticed. Desire is stimulated. That word means persuasion. Around 80 years ago, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his book, Temptation, these words, In our members is a slumbering inclination toward desire, which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. And it makes no difference if it is sexual desire or ambition, vanity or desire for revenge, love of fame and power, or greed for money. At that moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality, and only desire for the creature is real. Now, notice he doesn't say you quit believing in God. Notice he doesn't say you quit thinking that Scripture is God-breathed. He just says at that moment, God is unreal to us. It is in that little statement. We like to make fun of it. We like to toss it around and use it in other comical ways. But that statement, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, suggests that God is not real in Vegas. You can set him aside when you're there. Now you can say, that's not what they're talking about. I would argue with it. I think that's exactly what they're talking about. And that's exactly what Bonhoeffer was writing about 80 years ago. At the moment, that this takes over, God is quite unreal to us. We set God aside. And the third thing that happens is sin is committed. These desires give birth to sinful actions. The desire is conceived, it's molded over in the mind, and then an action, a behavior we know that's contrary, doesn't align with God's will. Max Lucado wrote in his book, Come Home, these words, Satan aims his dart at your weakest point, and bullseye, you lose your temper, you lust, you fall, you take a drag, you buy a drink, you kiss the woman, you follow the crowd, you rationalize, you say yes, you sign your name, you forget, you forget, he says, who you are. And I would suggest you forget who God is and you deny your master. The spiritual is removed and desire is stimulated and sin is committed. And then he says a habit is formed, verse 15, 
And when sin is allowed to grow full grown, it gives birth to death. Always. Sin always gives birth to death. Some kind of death. Sometimes it's little death. Sometimes it's ultimate death. And I don't know what the percentage of us in this room are. I'd say it's probably at least 50% of us who've had some kind of test at some time for cancer. Sin is not benign. Sin is malignant. It is a cancerous tumor. It is something left untouched, grows and consumes you, and ultimately leads to death. And the plot, this plot is universal. You see it everywhere. All sin is always potentially fatal. It gives birth to death. Paul told the Galatians, don't be deceived. What you harvest is what you plant. The pain of the harvest always exceeds the pleasure of the planting. God wants to give good gifts. Satan doesn't give any gift. He lets you experience pleasure now, but you'll pay later. It's, not, it's no gift. And so finally, James speaks to overcoming this temptation. The tendency is to give things to do. Read scripture, spend time in prayer, gather with Christian friends, all good things. But when passion rises up in your life, more than likely you're not going to think about some arbitrary formula. So let me give you something simple to hold on to. Be smart. Be smart. James says in verse 16, don't be misled. Don't be misled, dear brothers and sisters. Don't be misled. Be smart. Don't, let, don't be led down the wrong path. Stop and think about how dumb this is to let Satan suck you in. Don't let your desires dictate your behavior. Think smart. When sin is revealed, most people respond, how could I have been so stupid? Jesus said it this way, everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. But everybody who hears them and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man. And so I imagine this morning while we're sitting here in this room, there are some of you who are flirting with sin. And if you stop and think about it, you realize it is so stupid to jeopardize my life, to jeopardize my family, to jeopardize my relationship with the living God. You may think you're clever and smart enough to know enough, but I would suggest you're tiptoeing on cobwebs. The ancient sage wrote it this way in Proverbs, if you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. So be smart. It's smart to maintain communication with the giver of all good gifts. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. It's smart to be in partnership with somebody who's dependable, isn't it? God our Father who created all the lights in the heaven, he never changes or casts shifting shadows. It's smart to be loyal to the one who gives you life. God our Father who chose to give us birth by giving us his word of truth. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession, the first fruits of his creation. God loves you. God sent his son to die for you, to deal with sin for you, and sent us his Holy Spirit to empower us to overcome.
And God wants us to rise up and be demonstrations of what God can do when we rely upon him. When we're smart and we listen to him. When we're smart and we talk with him and we follow his spirit and his direction. And so you can choose to believe Satan and the lie. Or you can choose with the power of God's spirit to believe God and receive his life. Your next journey, your next step in this journey, it may be, uh, may be to proclaim your faith in Jesus, to be buried with him in baptism and rise up new, a child of God. Your next step may be to reclaim your heritage. You know that you are a child of God, and yet you've kind of let that slip, and you've kind of been just toying with this idea of setting God aside. Maybe, maybe your next step is being part of this church family, I don't know what that is, but we would love to pray with you and talk with you about that. We will be here when we're through, but we're going to close our time together this morning praising God from whom all blessings flow. Thanks for listening. Again, I want to encourage you to visit southplains.info. There you'll find event calendars, important announcements, ways to give, and to request prayer. Thank you for joining us.